0: Well, I wanted to do a, a, a quick announcement this morning, something we uh, forgot this morning. Well, not forgot, I made a note that I was going to mention it, but next Sunday on the 20th, February 20th, we have a very special evening. We are going to be ordaining Kip Franklin as one of our new deacons here at FBC Troop. So next Sunday on the 20th, come out at 5 p.m., join us for a special ordination service for Kip Franklin. Kip and... His family are just an, a blessing to our church. So I'm excited to have Kip joining the, the deacon body. I look forward to that and would love to have y'all join us and, and his family. Just, it's going to be a wonderful, uh, special, special service, setting him apart for, for this role in serving the church. So put that on your calendars. We'll, we'll send out some more reminders this week, but I wanted to make a special note of that. You're all invited to that for our, our deacon ordination for Kip Franklin. Looking forward to it. There's a lot going on today. Uh, gonna, I'm trying to. I had a few things written down. Uh, I think there's a really important football game happening. Um, not quite sure all the details, but I'm sure you can you can make plans for that. Find somebody to watch the football game with if if you want to. Uh, there's no teams that I really really care about because once Pat Mahomes was out of the out of the running, I just kind of quit caring. I mean, you know, those White House boys. There's just something special about the White House boys. I don't know what it is. And the troop boys, too. Don't get me wrong. We're all from same area. Um, no. And then also, other th- thing I got to remind, men, I- I'm one of, this is a public service announcement. If you have forgotten Valentine's Day is tomorrow, you still have one day to go get your gift. If you do it tomorrow, listen, she's going to know you did it tomorrow. But if you do it today, she'll be so excited and so happy so just a, that's a reminder. That's one of those marriage pro tips. This is my 10th my Valentine with, with my Valentine, so I'm excited about that. We started dating on Valentine's Day. I'll share the story another time. But ten, 10 years of dating the same girl, I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm still here. I'm enjoying it. If you are, I mean, anyways, <laughs> anyways. Oh, me. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are a guest or a visitor or just hadn't been here in a while, we are so glad to have you worshiping with us this morning. Um, We, I want to be just kind of open and transparent about last week, I started a series and I was really excited because it was called Equipped. I was going to talk about how God has called and equipped all of us in the church, was going to go through all of these different topical studies in this and, and just all week, I kind of kept being felt pushed and pushed and pushed away from that. And that's really frustrating when it's something that you really want to teach and really want to get into and think that it could really help the church. And it's really frustrating when you work on something, and then you get to a point and, and God kind of reveals to you, no, I want you to kind of shift gears a little bit. And I'm like, uh, okay, um, okay, okay. And so what we're going to go is I felt I've been feeling drawn to take this church into Hebrews for a while. It, it, the folks on my Wednesday night t- test or class can attest to this: is that I've been talking about maybe going into Hebrews, and even the last series we did by faith, we were stuck in a chapter of Hebrews for several several weeks. And so God has been laying this on my heart over and over and over again. And if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, you probably can understand why I'm a little intimidated by the book of Hebrews. It's not an easy teaching. There, there's several things in it that go really, really far deep into things. And it's a difficult book. We'll just, I'll be very honest about that. And, but God kept laying this on my heart that, that to go into this. And really, the reason you go into Hebrews, Hebrews is a, I mean, it is a powerhouse book. You've got so much good stuff. Chapter 11, we did an entire series on that, just kind of proves that one chapter has a lot of good stuff in it. But the big thing about Hebrews is, is that it's a book that shows us that Jesus Christ is greater than anything else in this world. Like, he is the superior, he's the supreme, he is better than every other thing, he is the greatest human. He's greater than than Moses and Joshua. He's greater than all these other uh, patriarchs of our faith. That Jesus is—he's greater than any other priest we could ever have. He's the greatest of all the priests, even though he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. That he is—his covenant is actually greater than the old covenant. That his sacrifice was greater than any sacrifice given in the Old Testament. And I kept feeling pushed and pushed and pushed to this, is that I want us to look at Christ in the chapters of, contained in Hebrews and see over and over and over again that Jesus is greater than all, that he is better than all, that he is supreme to all other things, that Jesus is greater and you know, as we see this, we'll see obviously that he's the one who fulfills the old covenant and God establishes a new covenant uh, with him. And throughout this book, I don't know how long we're going to spend in this book. Again, it, I'm still working through this. It, there's going to be some, some stuff we get into real deep. But I think you guys will be able to follow along with me as, as we go. I'm going to try to break it down as simply as I can. Now, y'all who've heard me speak quite a few times, you should know I tend to get real excited about this, get ahead of myself and start speaking real fast, and you can't capture anything I'm saying. I'm going to try my best not to do that. (laughs) But to begin this, I wanted us to look at some elements of Jesus Christ, two that I think are very important to us, that I think we often forget about. Not forget about, we, we don't put as much emphasis on this. Jesus fulfills a lot of roles in Scripture and in our lives. And the number one, whenever we think of Jesus, outside of Jesus as God, who he is, the, the second one we always come to is Jesus as Savior. That's Jesus, he's our Lord and our Savior, which is, that's an important role, and, and he's a very good Savior, he's the best. But I also want us to see Jesus Christ as our brother and our great high priest. These are two other roles that, that Jesus lives That are very important for us. And in fact, our salvation actually depends on them. Him being our brother and our high priest. The only way Jesus could be our savior is to be our brother and our high priest. And I'm going to begin and break this down. We're going to start in chapter 2 instead of chapter 1. Because again, I want to identify exactly who it is we are talking about. When I talk about God, I'm speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Make no bones about that. Make no mix-up of that. Jesus became a man. We're going to make that emphatically clear today. Jesus is God. He became a man. Scripture tells us like us in every way. That's vitally important for us. But the author begins this text and he tells us that in in many times in the past, in chapter 1, that God spoke to us through the prophets and through the fathers. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. He goes on, uh, and in chapter 2, verse 9, tells us that this son of his is the man, Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus, who died for us. He was God become man who died in our place. And because of his suffering death, the scripture also says that he is crowned with glory and honor. Because of his suffering and death for us. Again, he is our brother and our high priest. Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 10 uh, through 18 is what I'm going to read. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, God, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation, atonement, for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. There's a lot that goes into that passage. There's a lot going on there. We're going to break that down. But the two big things that I want you to have kind of caught, and we'll explain through them again, that Jesus Christ is our brother and he is our priest. In verse 10, it says that it was fitting to God. That it was fitting to God that the founder of salvation be made perfect through suffering. When we read that, we say the founder of salvation, Jesus, be made perfect through suffering. But Jesus was already perfect. Jesus had no sin, so why does it say it made him perfect? The use of the word perfect here is more of the use of of completion, Not necessarily perfection as in he was lacking anything. It was that he completed and brought this about. He fulfilled salvation. He accomplished salvation. So when it talks about the founder of salvation, he's speaking of Jesus. And it was fitting, God said, to whom all things are made. God thought that it was fitting that salvation be accomplished by suffering. And this is important for us because, again, we have God who becomes a man. He's a human without sin who sacrificially dies for our sin. So that God's justice, the penalty of sin is death. His justice, sin, death, was poured out that he could be merciful to us and give us life. And there in verse 10, it says that because we suffered, because he suffered, he brought us to glory. Jesus is suffering for us and dying for us, becoming one of us, is what allows us to be set apart. The scripture is important on this. It says that he who is sanctified and those who are being sanctified, Jesus and us, to be sanctified means to be set apart. They all have one source, and that is the suffering of the Messiah. It is Jesus Christ who came and suffered for us as our author of salvation to represent us so that our set apartness, basically our holiness, our righteousness, our life, everything has one source. Everything has one source. And that's why he's not afraid to call us his brothers and sisters. I don't want you to read that and think that it's being that women are excluded. No, in fact, it's very far from that. The Bible uses this language because typically it would use male language. But also, too, whenever you think about it this way, that the males, the sons, could be inheritors. And in Christianity, women inherit the same things that men do. Women are given the same righteous inheritance that men receive. That doesn't sound like a radical notion for us here today. But at the time in this culture, the idea of women having the same inheritance as men, would have, that was a completely upside-down concept, okay? So that we could inherit, so that those, the one who sets apart, God, Jesus, and those who are set apart, all have one source, Jesus Christ. And that's why he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters, Y'all have one source, the man Christ Jesus. And as he suffered for you, he sanctified you. That's why he's not afraid or ashamed to call you his family. Think about this. We, we've heard probably, if you've been in church at any point in time, people say, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be, you know, be, be willing to share your faith. Be bold. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. But do you ever think that of Jesus ever being ashamed of you? We we might think that sometimes. You might think, well, I just, as a believer, I'm talking to Christians, people who have believed in Jesus. As a Christian, when I do this, whenever I, I sin, surely Jesus is ashamed of me now. But the scripture says that he is unashamed of you. The scripture says he is unashamed of you because he's already suffered and died for that sin. That's why he's not ashamed of you anymore. To think about this, that when God, when Jesus goes before the Father concerning you, anything to do with you, that Jesus doesn't walk up to the Father. Let's just imagine this as a scene. Walk up to the Father and say, oh, well, um, hey, Father, uh, This is my, I guess they're my friend. Um, You know, Aaron, he's kind of a, I don't really like him. We don't really want him here, Father. But um, as if he were ashamed of me. But that's not at all what we are taught in the scriptures. We might think that. We might assume that. If you understand your sin, then you might really assume that that totally. I, I understand. But the fact is, is that whenever Jesus goes before the Father on your behalf, That he's not ashamed of you in any way, and he's not ashamed to call you his co heir with him. He brings you proudly before the throne. He loves you. He has drawn you into glory. He is proud of you. And to think about that the idea that Jesus is not ashamed of you, he's proud to be one of you, he's proud to be one of us. He's proud to represent us. He's proud to save us. He's proud to intercede for us. We're going to go through that and see that here as we read through this more. But Jesus is not ashamed of you if you're a believer. He's not ashamed of you. You need to understand that. And he gives us a couple of examples here. We see it in verses 12 and 13 where Jesus, these are quotations that are given that come from Old Testament scriptures, uh, from Psalms and Isaiah. And we have these passages where Jesus is not afraid to call us his brothers. He calls us his brothers and sisters. And then in the quotation from Isaiah, I'm not going to go back, but basically Christ says, I have put my hope in him. That when Christ was a man, he hoped in God the same way we do or should. That he hoped in God. And then he considers himself alongside the children that God has given him. Basically, those three passages, if you read them and say, I don't know what those three different quotations mean, what it's saying is that Jesus is counting himself as one of us. That he calls us his brothers and sisters, that he hoped in God just like we do, and that he is numbered right there among God's children with us. Okay, That's really what those couple of verses mean. He calls us his family And he's not ashamed of us, and he's not ashamed to be one of us. God created this world. In fact, we know, the scriptures attest to this, that in fact, it's through Jesus, the Son, that the world was created. We can read that in the book of John, the Gospel of John, the first chapter attests to that. That through him all things were made. All things were made. And without him, the Son, the Logos, was not anything made that was made. John 1, uh, it's 3. He created everything. And when he made man, we are made of flesh and blood. That's something that all humanity has in common. Every single one of us. We live on this earth. We're made of flesh and blood. We are in these bodies while we are on this planet. To become one of us, to become like us, the Son became flesh. Again, this is something that you would find in the, the first chapter of John that he became flesh. He became one of us in that in every single way he could be like us. The interesting thing is is that he became one of us to become our brother. But really, he became one of us to make us his brothers and sisters. It's the greater condescending to the lesser. But why would Jesus do that? It's it's a really big question. Why, Why would God become a man? Why would God need to die? Why would God need to suffer on a cross and die? Couldn't God just save us and make everything? Why did he do it this way? And we are told right here is that through his death that he could destroy, that is to do away, to abolish, to loose, to undo, do away with, Satan, who's been given the power of death, the one who brought temptation and sin into the world in the first place, the one who is the father of lies. Christ's death disarms Satan completely, and it also looses us from a lifelong slavery to sin. You don't think of it that way when you're not a Christian, but before you became a believer, when you're not a believer, you are a slave to sin. Sin is your master and you like it. And you're under sin's rule and reign until Christ came and set us free. And by satisfying God's wrath against sin, the death required for that, Satan has no claim on you because death has no claim on you. Sin has no claim. Death has no claim. Satan has no claim. His death frees us from the claim we had rightfully earned. Our sin earned death. That sin had that claim on us. But because of Jesus, it has no more claim. And in fact, because of Jesus, he's the one that actually has the claim on us. You're completely freed and from that. And because of that, He brings us into His glory. And again, we are set apart and sanctified in Him. Let me go on to... <clears throat> I lost my place on my notes. I apologize. Okay, so He destroys Satan, looses us from this, uh, slavery to sin, Christ side. And now, the Scripture says this. If, if you've never read Hebrews before, this mention of angels that comes in, um, it's introduced in the first part, Long story short, it's basically saying that Jesus was not an angel. Jesus didn't do these things for angels. The writer's making the case that Jesus is God who becomes a man. And what Jesus did did not save any of the fallen angels. It only counted for man. Jesus didn't become an angel. Jesus was not an angel. He was God become man. So this only counts for men. This becomes really important But the way it says it is, for the seed of Abraham. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm not Jewish, so how does that help me? Because Abraham was a Jew, and when you think of seed, you're talking about offspring and seed. You're like, I'm not a Jew. But the scripture tells us it is that those who are of faith are the offspring of Abraham. You can find that in Galatians 3, 7, and in Romans 2, 28 and 29. If you come to God by faith, you are the seed of Abraham. You are of that offspring. You don't have to be born Jewish to be Abraham's offspring. And we see Jesus as this Savior through these couple of verses here. But again, we don't always think of Him as our priest. We see Him as our Savior becoming one of us, He is our brother. If Jesus was sitting in this room right now, you wouldn't be able to tell him apart from one of you, as far as amen. He is one of our brother, but he is also our priest. When he took on this flesh, he became our priest, and the scripture says that he should become a merciful and faithful priest. This isn't just some priest who goes in and would offer the sacrifices and not really care or think everything's about a sense of obligation and duty. No, this is a merciful priest that goes to represent you. I want to think real quick. In the Old Testament, think back with me. When God gave the law to Moses and the priests, they instituted all of the, the, the entire sacrificial system. What would the, the priests actually uh, do in this? We'll go back on the slides there a little bit. The priests in the Old Testament, they would work in the synagogue or the temple to offer sacrifices to God. They would perform these services and offer up worship. They would offer up sacrifices over and over and over again. They'd be interceding for the people. They were human beings that went on behalf of other human beings to atone for their sin. That's the whole idea of the the priests in the Old Testament. That's what they did. They went, they offered the sacrifices, did all the services, did all this. They, that few people, represented the entire nation. That's what priests did. It was people who went on behalf of other people. So when Jesus becomes a man and goes to offer the most perfect sacrifice, he is a person going on behalf of other people to make atonement for their sin. It is human sin which requires human death through human blood. And that's exactly what we get on the cross. As Jesus was, was beat and murdered and hung on that cross to die, that was real human blood flowing out of his body. That was real human blood on that cross wood seeping down into the ground and that was a real human death when he gave up his spirit that the author of all life died as a man so that your human sins could be completely atoned for he is the priest that offers the greatest sacrifice of all time in fact this sacrifice does so much that god never requires another blood sacrifice for sin That's why we don't do all of the things they do in the Old Testament. I I can't get into it today. We just don't simply have time. But that's why the Old Covenant is completely fulfilled and gone with. That's why we don't do everything that's under the Old Testament law anymore. We don't have to. Christ said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And once it's filled, it's done. And a new covenant was instituted. And we are welcomed into this new covenant. But there's an issue here. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we see it over and over and over again. Paul is correcting people constantly who are believers in Christ under the new covenant who are trying to live under the old covenant. They're trying to bring back all those Jewish traditions and the Jewish ways and all these things that say, yes, but God said you have to do this. Under the Old Covenant. One of the most important things you can do as a believer, I'm serious, is learn how to divide and learn how to distinguish between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. When we think about the Old and New Covenants, you might think of the Old and New Testament, and that's not what I'm talking about. The New Testament begins at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Correct? But the New Covenant begins after Jesus Christ died in those Gospels. Jesus lived under the old covenant. You don't. You live under the new covenant with a new high priest. Jesus is your priest, not the Levitical priest. With a new brother. This is what I hope to kind of unpack for us in, in the weeks ahead and help us understand the difference between the new covenant and the old. Because sadly, it, it just it happens. We read parts of scripture and we don't know who it applies to and why or this or that. And, and it is for ignorance. It's not because, you're, it's not because we're stupid. It's because you don't know any better. Learning how to distinguish between the old covenant and the new is so important in your life. Or else you'll be walking under burdens that Christ did, a long, did away with a long time ago. You'll be walking in a life, in a Christian life on this world, being weighed down by things that Christ said, I, I, that's all done. Why are you still dealing with that? I didn't intend to say any of that in my message. I apologize. I still got pages of notes here going. We'll, we'll start wrapping it up. Anyways, but Christ as this priest who goes before us to represent us on, as a man. It's interesting, Whenever, if I was going to send someone to go represent me before another person, to speak on my behalf, I would want them to know me pretty well. I wouldn't send a complete stranger. I wouldn't send somebody who didn't care about me or my family. I wouldn't send somebody who doesn't even like representing other people. If I'm going to send somebody to speak on my behalf, it's going to be somebody that I know intimately and that I trust and they know me and they care about me and they're concerned for me. They'll do the right thing by me. They won't let anybody abuse me or accuse me. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ is for you as your high priest. When he goes to represent you and the reason is, that what makes him such a great high priest is that all of these Things that you suffer with and the temptations and your struggles. He understands them because he lived them. He understands because he lived it. And so when you're tempted by something. Let's get real honest for a second here. When you're tempted men to take that second glance. The devil tried to tempt Jesus too. When you're tempted to lie to that person, Jesus was tempted to lie too. When you're tempted to take something that isn't yours, Jesus was tempted. When you're tempted to lie on your tax returns, when you're tempted to mess up the numbers, when you're tempted to do any kind of sin, Jesus Christ himself was tempted in the same way. He understands what you're going through emotionally, spiritually, that struggle, that battle you start having. He understands perfectly because it happened with him. The difference between him and you is he overcame that temptation. And the good news is is that because he overcame it, you can overcome it too. You can overcome that temptation. And then the even better news is that when that temptation overcomes you, he still rescues you to draw you back out so that you can overcome it. Even when you do give in, he still rescues you. (laughs) Jesus became a man to suffer for you, to save you, to sanctify you, to set you apart from the world, to identify with you. He's not ashamed of you. He's one of you. He became a man to set you free from the devil and sin. The devil has no claim on you. Sin has no claim on you. You have the victory. And he became a man to sympathize with you. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows there's things in your life. You're like, God, I want to do the right thing, but I keep doing it wrong. He understands you. You might think, God, I know you're sick of hearing this because I keep doing the same thing. You're tired of me coming back and just doing the same thing. You know what he would say to you? Come on. I'm here. Come here. He sympathizes with you more than you will ever understand. (laughs) We see this, this elder brother of ours, this great high priest, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you, one of you to represent you because he loves you and let me tell you this too, he loves to save you he loves to save you and keep saving you and keep saving you and keep saving you and keep saving you you. he loves it anytime you are tempted not to go back to Jesus Anytime you are tempted to just stay in your sin, I'm telling you, right where you're at, go and run to him. You are received by your brother and your great high priest. Let us pray.